Hot Wheels has gotten Sinclair Broadcasting as well as some others into a hot mess. That and cap polling on this very unscripted FCC Today right now. about Hot Wheels. Um, you know, we're playing this Hot Wheels music and, and, and stuff like that. It's like, okay, Michi, this is supposed to be a professional broadcast, yet you're playing this stuff. And, oh, and what's going on with Sinclair Broadcasting? Okay, so, th- so these are the things that are on your mind. Now, of course, you're also probably wondering about what's going on with EAS and CAP. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, but first, this is very unscripted. Okay, there's no script on this. This is not just monotone Michi. This is just straight out as we record it. Of course, this could be edited for your convenience or mine, at least. And as a lot of you know, I I am not a fan of Sinclair Broadcasting. I am not a fan of their news practices and stuff like that. So obviously, when something comes over the pipe where Sinclair is getting themselves into a heap of trouble over something silly, then, of course, I'm on it. And that, and that apparently is the case here. Now, of course, it's not just Sinclair um, that is involved in this uh, in this dragnet, but it's um, quite a few other owners too. But Sinclair has a majority of the stuff in here, and what we've got here is a notice of apparent liability that was um, issued to Sinclair Broadcasting as well as Cunningham Broadcasting, Deerfield Media. HSH Flint Myrtle Beach, GoCom Media of Illinois, uh, Manhattan Media Incorporated, Mercury Broadcasting, MITS Telecasting, MPS Media of Tallahassee, and MPS Media of Tennessee, Nashville License Holding um, LLC, uh, New Age Media of Gainesville License, New Age Media of Pennsylvania License, uh, Next Star, Second Generation of um, Iowa. Weight Broadcasting, WTVH License Incorporated, and of course, Sinclair. And this has to do with the restrictions on advertising in children's programming. Now, one of the things that the FCC has, uh, you know, as they're enforcing the Children's Television Act, which, of course, is a whole entire different story. And I'll tell you, it has ruined a lot of modern childhoods. And you wonder why kids are sitting around playing video games and wanting to do things as they get older um, that they shouldn't be doing. It's because of the fact that we've lost the great kids shows of the old days. So we're stuck with these, these cartoons that are basically toy commercials. And one of the big rules of the Children's Television Act and of the, and of the uh, FCC's Children's Television Programming Rules is, is that if you are running a cartoon about a certain product, there cannot be an advertisement for that product in that cartoon and during that during that 30 minute block you you cannot do it because then what it does is it turns the cartoon itself into a program length commercial on weekends um children's television you know their the advertising is limited to 10 and a half minutes per hour 12 minutes per hour on on the weekdays you know suddenly you know what's happened here is the stations that are running this Hot Wheels cartoon, this Team Hot Wheels cartoon, apparently on multiple occasions, there was a commercial for a Hot Wheels product in 
in one of the stop sets on that show. Now, so all of a sudden, you have a 30-minute TV commercial, which, of course, exceeds the 10 and a half or 12 minutes per hour of the Children's Television Act. So all these stations got hit. Apparently, they're claiming, oh, it was the distributor, you know, and this is the problem with children's television these days. You know, I go back to the days when children's television was done locally. It was done in the studio. They had the kids come down and sit in the audience, you know, sit in the, you know, and I'm, and I, I mean, I'm talking beyond Bozo the Clown. I'm talking in Southern California, what we had Skip and Woofer. We had some of the other ones. And of course, in Arizona, for many years, we had Wallace and Ladmo. And um, fortunately, I was, I was under 18 during some of the time of Wallace and Ladmo. So I got a chance to watch the show and all that. And, you know, they do all these crazy stuff. They do all these crazy skits and then play cartoons and, you know, and they would also do the um, advertising for the sponsors and where they would have what they do host selling. It's you know, it's what they call host selling where the uh, where the where the personality, the the actor in the show is the one that's actually selling the products. And then, of course, with uh, uh, the Walson and Ladmo, they'd also do the uh, they'd also give out the Ladmo bags. Yes, Ladmo bags for the kids. And, um, you know, in there, of course, there was all kinds of goodies and stuff like that and stuff, you, should, you know, all the junk food and stuff like that. But also there was, uh, you know, sometimes there were items in there from the sponsors. And, uh, you know, of course, the Children's Television Act pretty much quashed all that. And then, of course, with the uh, satellite distribution and all that you know television has just become one big giant toy commercial in the afternoons during the weekend on saturday mornings it, you know it's it's horrible now um in the case of sinclair and I'm, I'm going through the uh i'm going through the nal right now they have decided to on this one is is they apparently there was obviously multiple violations because they were running this show in, in all their different markets. And uh, they, they got themselves into a heap of trouble with this. And um, the amount of the uh, proposed forfeiture we're looking here, do, 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 they are going to get dinged um, $32,000 for 82 stations. And then there's one station that's uh, that's kind of an exception. They're going to get twenty eight. They're going to get a twenty eight thousand dollar dinger. So they're going to get fined a total of two million six hundred and fifty two thousand dollars for running um, Hot Wheels commercials during the Hot Wheels cartoon. And um, some of the other stations, the Next Star stations, which includes uh, KTLA in Los Angeles, and them, they're going to get dinged twenty six thousand per station. So, you know. It's crazy. Uh, you know, I just, I miss the old days. And, you know, we didn't have this Children's Television Act. Television was fun. Um, I mean, who else remembers TV Pow in your market? Now, of course, a lot of you remember Bozo the Clown and all that. And all those great TV shows that were done locally. And, you know, those were the days. Now, of course, those days are long gone. But, uh, you know, we can thank a 500-channel universe for that. Let's talk about cat polling. And first of all, just some nomenclature here. We're going to talk about two different types of alerts. We're going to talk about legacy alerts, and we're going to talk about cap alerts. Legacy alerts are the ones that you receive over the radio. They're the ones that have the three duck farts and then the attention signal and then the message. And then there's the cap alerts, which are the ones that come over the Internet. 
Now, the FCC has a report and order that's currently on circulation. It's been on circulation for the last couple weeks now that the public has seen it. And what the FCC is looking at doing is making it mandatory for something called cap polling. And what cap polling is, is where a station, if the station receives a alert legacy, so they receive it over the radio with the duck farts, the system is now supposed to wait up to 10 seconds or at least 10 seconds for that same alert to come over the cap over the internet. And if the alert comes over the internet, over the cap, then they're going to rebroadcast the cap alert instead of the legacy alert. The main beneficiary to this is going to be people with disabilities because the cap alerts are much more robust. They include a lot more information that comes with the data, not just the type of alert, what counties it is and when it expires, like you get with a legacy alert, but a lot more information. And that is information that can be viewed easily on the screen of a TV screen with the crawl. And that was the whole idea of doing this whole thing with doing cap alerts. Now, the NAB... Which, you know, REC in, in the NAB, you know, we've been we've been going head to head for over 20 years now on various issues. And this is one of those points where we actually kind of agree on on the basic uh, premise that this should not apply to radio or at least to analog radio, because analog radio has no visual element to it. It's just audio. But the FCC claimed that, well, because cap alerts have a clearer audio quality versus a legacy alert that comes in over the radio, that this should apply to radio too. Now, this is going to be a huge problem for a lot of small stations. And when I talk about small stations, I'm not just talking about LPFM here. I'm talking about smaller NCEs, especially faith-based NCEs that don't get um, CSG funding. They don't get the federal uh, CSG grants um, and other small um, non-commercial stations. I'm also talking about small commercial stations. I'm talking about the mom and pops. I'm talking about the rural stations. I'm talking about the standalones. I'm talking about the AM stations in urban markets that are owned by minorities. These are the stations that are going to be affected by this, especially given the fact that for the past couple of years, because of the business closures and restrictions um, that have taken place over the past couple years because of COVID-19, these stations just do not have the underwriting or advertising revenues that they used to have. And these stations are slowly recovering out of COVID-19. And we got to take that into consideration. And a lot of these um LPFM stations, especially, they don't have a big budget. And a lot of these stations are just operating because they love radio and they love to, to reach out to their communities. So the money is not there. And for the owners of certain EAS equipment, especially the DASDEC, this may require a paid software upgrade. Now, there are probably quite a few stations that are out there and in all three of those sectors and all the non-commercial LPFM and the uh, commercial sectors that are still running off of DASDEC version 3. Well, what they're going to need to do is they're going to need to upgrade to at least DASDEC version 4. 
to get this. And the DASDEC 3 to 4 upgrade is about $500. Now, there's also a DASDEC version 5 that just came out. And to go from 3 to 5, you pay for two upgrades. You pay about $1,000. If you're on 3 and you want to go to 5, you pay about $1,000. At least those were the prices that SCMS was quoting. This is going to be a huge impact on these small stations. And especially in this case, because there's really no benefit for cap polling for these stations, because right now, the biggest supplier of emergency alerts, the National Weather Service, is not using CAP. They're not using that system to send their alerts. They send everything legacy. So this gives absolutely no benefit to non-digital radio. Now, digital radio, there is a little bit of a benefit because CAP can be displayed on a digital radio's uh, programming service display. And obviously, there will be some benefit for television, but the benefit is not going to be totally realized until we get to a day when the National Weather Service is sending their alerts through CAP as well as through Legacy. During this past, during this past week or two, I've been um, doing the ex parte round where I can actually contact decision makers at the FCC. And what I do is I contact the staffs and um, I've talked to um, the media advisors. Uh, actually, no, this would be the public safety advisors from uh, uh, Commissioner Starks, Commissioner Symington and Chairwoman Rosenworth. So I spoke to all three of those commissioners' staffs. I also talked real quickly to the Media Bureau to let them know what was going on. And I talked to the Public Safety and Homeland Security Bureau at the FCC. And looking at a way that we could either get some kind of relief for radio for this one-year deadline. When I talked to the folks at uh, Commissioner Symington's group, and, and, and the Commissioner Symington's uh, uh, team. The main concern that they had was was that they did not want to see this issue get swept under the rug for radio. If this was just to apply to TV um, and maybe digital radio, but not to analog radio, they just did not want to see this get swept under the rug. They also noted too that there's another notice of proposed rulemaking that's currently in circulation that we haven't seen yet that may come up in maybe the October, November, or December uh, meeting that will be regarding changes in relation to cybersecurity for EAS. So we've got to take that into consideration. Now, that cybersecurity NPRM may also result in software changes that the manufacturers, your Sage and your DASDEC and your Trilithic and your Gordon Redlich and them, they're going to have to make in order to comply with these new FCC regulations. Now, of course, this may require yet another software change. For Sage, we don't know if this is going to be, if any of this is going to be in Rev95. So I think for right now, if you're running a Sage, you're running Rev95, I think you're going to be safe. I did try to reach out to Sage. They refused to talk to me about this. They don't want to talk to me until after the report and order is actually adopted. Um, DASDEC, on the other hand, since I have a DASDEC here in the lab, I've had a chance to look at it. And version 4 does have the cap polling in it. So if you have version 4, you're okay. You don't have to upgrade to 5. At least not yet. Um, but if you're running version 3, you're going to need to upgrade. And that's going to be at least $499 just to get the cap polling. 
Now, of course, with the cybersecurity changes, we don't know if that's going to go into four or if that's also going to go if or if you're, you're going to have to upgrade to five for that. As a compromise, really, I had to discuss this when I was discussing this with um, Symington's team. I said, look, you know, we've got to have some kind of relief. You know, we have a one year already that's already in in the document. You know, cable companies are being given a six year deadline because of customer premise equipment, equipment out at the people's homes to get that compliant, which I kind of don't see how that's going to work, but I guess um, that's what they want to do. So why can't we have a longer time frame for it? If we don't want to sweep this under the rug, let's have a longer time frame. So I looked at a magic number of three years. Three years will give us several things here. First of all, it will take into consideration the cybersecurity NPRM, because, you know, if this goes out in October or November, uh, you know, that's going to open up comment period probably in December, January. It's going to go into March, maybe with the reply comments and everything. And then, of course, the commission needs to to work on it. They may they may fly it through for the summer. It, it, the earliest that we're going to see something come out of the cybersecurity will probably be in early summer of next year. Hopefully, by that time, we'll also have an LPFM window. So, we've got that, and then that's going to probably have a timeline on it for stations to comply. Of course, we also got to take into consideration that the manufacturers may have to do a little more development work for that. And we also need to take into consideration that we have DASDEC version 5 out there, and there may be stations that may want to go from 3 straight to 5. And again, we don't know yet if digital alert systems is going to include anything from the cybersecurity NPRM into version four. So we also don't know yet if something, a miracle happens at the National Weather Service and they decide that they're going to figure out a way to start sending these alerts also over CAP. Because here's the thing, if, if the National Weather Service sends stuff over CAP, that's a no-brainer. Then That's a game changer. Because now we're getting better sounding alerts now. And if they can just get rid of Mr. Speak and Spell, that would be even better. So that's pretty much where we're at right now. We're looking at right now, uh, right now what we're looking at as the compromise is a three-year deadline for stations, for radio stations to get some form of EAS for cap polling. At least that's what I'm asking for. That's my minimum. My minimum is three years. I would like to just to sweep this under the rug, I mean, obviously, until a time when the National Weather Service comes on board and says, hey, we're going to start doing CAP. And then if that happens, then yeah, then we have a lot more value to CAP alerts. Right now, out here where I'm at in Delmarva, the only thing that come over CAP is Amber Alerts and tests. It's all we get. What comes over Legacy is weather from the National Weather Service, and tests. So there's no mutual exclusivity between the two right now. And until there is that time, I just don't see the value in requiring analog radio to have cap polling. So we're looking at right now, we're looking at the minimum a three-year time, and that will also give stations some time to start socking away money, do fundraisers, whatever you need to do to get this squared away. But the bottom line is, is we are going to have to get to a point of where um, EAS needs to be updated. You need to keep your EAS software upgraded and updated. 
that is really a compliance requirement. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of alerting. I am a big supporter of emergency alerts. And, you know, I'm telling stations all the time that they need to make sure that their software is up to date. So whether it's because of cap polling or whether it's because of the security issues, that needs to be done. Now, of course, a lot of the security issues that we've had over time, and it has nothing to do really, I think, with the software version. I think it has to do with the fact that there's a lot of insecure networks out there. A lot of people that have their EAS units, maybe at the transmitter, on port forwarding, and they have one of their ports forwarded to their EAS. And so you can get into it from the internet, you just use a different port number, and then they have a stupid uh, easy password on there. And you don't want to do that. That is dangerous, because that's how you get stuff like the zombies are coming. You don't want to do that. So that's where we are with this. Um, next Thursday, the uh, what the 28th is when the FCC open meeting is. I'm not sure if this is going to be on the agenda that day or if it's going to be worked early. It could be adopted early and taken off the agenda. There won't be much left if they do that on that on that agenda. But um, that's what we're looking at there. So let's let's hope for the best and let's hope that uh, the FCC finally realizes that one year is just not long enough and if they do try to screw radio over then hopefully the NAB REC somebody will be out there with some reconsiderations going and uh, we can we can do this right FCC today so that's going to do it on this podcast again this was totally unscripted it was totally last minute spur of the moment you know, we definitely wanted to talk about Sinclair. We had to talk about cap polling. So whether when we're going to come out with another one of these, I don't know. But this is just a spontaneous podcast, and it's all for you. If you have any questions, feel free to let me know. Visit the website, recnet.com, fcc.today, um, fccdata.org. We've got other things going on, and stay with us. R-E-C-R-E-C-R-E-C-R-E-C-R-E-C-R-E-C-R-E-C-R-E-C-R-E-C-R-E-C-R-E-C-R-E-C-R-E-C-R-E-C-R-E-C-